welcome all of you online, and uh, so good to have you joining from all around different parts, and uh, so good, like I said, just to be together here today. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're looking at just such a marvelous, wonderful section of Scripture here. I mean, all, no matter where we are, I think, when you're in the book of Ephesians, any section you're in is a marvelous section of Scripture, but this is so foundational for us. And what we've been seeing here is in chapter one, right, where Paul has been laying out the, the blessings uh, from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these incredible blessings. Then what we saw last week in verses 15 to 23 of chapter one, Paul was really bringing that into prayer now, praying those things into you know, our very being so that these are not just things that we hear about, but they're things that we internalize and experience on a personal level now, these blessings of God. So, so Paul is praying that in. But now here's the thing, as we get into chapter two now, there's a tendency sometimes to kind of think, well, these are things that I don't really need. I mean, those aren't really for me because, well, I'm doing so good already in my life and things are really coming together and all things are good. And we can kind of tend to think those are for, you know, other people, kind of the sinners, right? They need to hear this stuff. They need to receive that stuff. But what Paul does is he kind of paints the picture for us in these first three verses of chapter two to show how we are the ones that are, are, are desperately in need of these blessings and for this prayer for us to, to experience this power that raised Jesus from the dead to be at work in our lives. Why? Because we were dead apart from God. We need this power at work in our lives. And so Paul begins to kind of paint this picture now and kind of reveal this black backdrop of humanity that is so important for us to get a picture of sometimes before we can really begin to see our need for the good news. It's the, the bad news versus the good news kind of scenario, right? It's like when you, you know, look at some of these hair growth products, right? Looking for a friend, of course, but uh, you know, these hair growth products, and you see the person that's out there with a full head of hair in the image, and you kind of go, well, I mean, how good is this? Is that kind of the way he was already? Like, wait, but then when you see the before picture and you see this guy was like in desperate need of this product, like he just had a couple wisps of hair up there. Suddenly now you see this transformation. You go, oh, now I see this product really does work, right? So Paul is kind of laying out this before and after picture for us right now as we get into chapter two to see how we are those people that so desperately need what God has been or what Paul has been laying out in chapter one. So look at this with me. We're gonna look at, at three different things here as we move through these verses. We're probably gonna just get up to verse seven this morning, but we're gonna see what we were, verses one to three. We're gonna see what God did for us, verses four to eight. And then we'll see what we are now when we get to that next week here in, in verse 10. But that's kind of our outline here this morning. So read with me in chapter two, verse one, it says this, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which he once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So Paul, right off the bat, he says, and you, and you, he made alive. So Paul wants this to kind of really target right to our heart and for us to hit home, for us to recognize that he's speaking to you. Again, like I said, sometimes we can kind of get this idea like, oh, this is for other people. This isn't really for me. That, or, or we can kind of think that, you know, when we talk about the love of God, 
we can kind of look at that sometimes on a global level where it's like, yeah, we know God died for the whole world, that God loved the whole world, but we can sometimes fail to think that this is something that he did for me, that this is something that he really had me in mind. No, I just kind of get lumped in with all of humanity and he just died for the world, he loved the whole world, and so I'm just sort of, you know, in there by, by process of elimination, I just get lumped in as part of humanity. But understand, I think this, this speaks volumes to us, as at least it does to me, that Paul is saying, and you, he made a lot. It's like Paul wants you to understand that this is something that God did for you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that you were on Christ's mind when he was dying on the cross because he knew you before you were even formed in the womb. He knew you, he loves you, and he's got a plan for you. He died for you. This is the work that he wants to do for you personally. I think we need to sometimes recognize that, that we're not just sort of one of you know, a billion people out in the world that God just kind of goes, yeah, you know, you're kind of out there, I know something. No, he knows you. And this is something he did for you. Now what's interesting is those words, he made alive, are in italics. That means that they're not in the original Greek, the original manuscripts. This is something that the translators added in there. And it's not something that changes. Sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, the Bible has been changed by man. No, this isn't an issue of the Bible being changed because Paul's gonna address this very thing. So we know contextually this fits, no doubt. But what I think is happening is that the translators are looking at this black backdrop of humanity that we're going to see in these first three verses. And the, and the translators are kind of going, you know what, I got to just interject a bit of glimmer of hope here for man because this is looking really bad. And if they read this, they might just give up before they get to verse four. So let me just say, listen, guys, understand, he made you alive, all right? So hang in there. Understand that there's hope for you. There's good news coming, all right? And so that's kind of what Paul is doing is he's, he's looking to share some of these things. He's gone through all the good news of chapter one but now he takes us to the bad news okay and, and he wants us to hang in there because there's good news to bad news but we go back to the good news in verse four all right and, and sometimes we fail again to really process the bad news or we don't know the bad news to where we understand why we need the good news right and so we like to sometimes just focus on the good news and not the bad news there's a doctor that had his patient come in and the doctor said, uh, I've got some good news and I got some bad news for you. And the patient says, well, give me the good news, please. And the, the doctor said, you've got uh, 24 hours to live. And the doctor, the patient said, what? That's the good news? What could be worse than that? The doctor said, I've been trying to reach you since yesterday. Um, so we like to focus on the good news to the extent of the bad news sometimes. But Paul is doing that here. He's laying out for us the truth of what we need to understand so that the good news becomes all the more real, personal, and powerful to us here. He's doing that for us. So Paul, he personalized this, this good work that God's done. And you, he made alive. But then that also fits because he made alive is not in the original Greek. And so it's like he's saying, and you, ultimately, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So on the flip side, Paul also wants you to recognize that you're in need of hearing this because you were like the rest of humanity that were against God, walking separate from God. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we look at that and we kind of go, wait a second, I've never felt more alive in my life. What do you mean I was dead? Well, the Bible speaks about death in three different ways. It talks about death physically, spiritually and eternally. 
Now, that's illustrated for us with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We've been going through Genesis on Wednesday nights and uh, having a great time in there. But we saw where, where God said to Adam, listen, of all the trees in the garden, you may eat freely, but of this one tree, you may not eat of it. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we know Eve took of that fruit, gave it to her husband, they both ate of it. And there was something that changed that instant. Just as God said, you know, you shall surely die. They didn't die physically that day, although that started the process of their death and decay physically, but they died spiritually that day. And if God hadn't intervened, then they would have died eternally to be forever cut off from God. So there's, there's different ways that the Bible speaks about death. And I believe here we're looking at this idea that we were dead spiritually. We just weren't in tune to God. We had no desire for God. We didn't have that spiritual impulse taking place in our lives. So Paul is saying, you were dead in trespasses and sins. That was the, the state, the condition of all of humanity. And Paul wants you to be sure that you recognize you were in that same category. Because again, sometimes we think, oh, that's not, that wasn't me. I mean, I'm not like the rest of those heathen in the world. God didn't have to really do a big work when he was saving me because I was already kind of, pretty much there already. But Paul wants us to be very clear for you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. So when Paul talks about trespasses and sins, there's, there's two unique words being used here. Paul uses, uses this word trespasses. We know, you know, when you see a don't trespass sign, it's like you don't go past that. Don't trespass. You don't, you don't go over that line, right? And if you do, there'll be consequences. So what we see is in trespasses is that God has given us boundaries. He's given us boundaries through his word of God. He says, listen, here's how you're gonna experience life. Do this, and there's some areas where don't do it. Don't go beyond that. And if you do, there's gonna be consequences. I learned that in a very real personal way back when I was a youngster because um, my friends and I used to like to go into golf courses at night. Listen, I'm just sharing this with you so that you can kind of just receive your own faults and sins that much more um, and, and deal with them. But uh, I'm confessing to you, uh, when I was, and I think I've shared this story with you before, but uh, when I was younger, my friends and I would, would sneak into golf courses at night and we'd go into, we'd go into the water hazards and, and get golf balls. Now, most of them are mine, mind you, just to begin with, right? They were uh, just reclaiming, I think, what was mine already. But we'd go in and get the golf balls out of there. It was, it was kind of fun, right? Innocent fun. Well, one night we're in this one golf course and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's pitch black, you can't see anything. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this tractor comes speeding up behind us, and we just freaked out. And this guy's yelling at us, hey, what are you And we just started, we started running for our lives, and this tractor's coming right behind us. I thought he's like gonna run us over and like bury us in a sand trap or something. I'm like, this isn't good. And we don't know, we can't see anything. And we're just running, and we're really running into bushes, we're tripping over trees, and we're just fleeing for our lives, Right? And so we realized a valuable lesson that night is if you're gonna sneak into courses, do it in the daytime where you can see how to make an escape. No, that's, but, but we learned a lesson is that there's consequences when you trespass, right? You don't always get away with those things. And God has laid out these, these, these areas for us. And we oftentimes, what Paul's saying is that you are dead because you trespassed, because you stepped over those boundaries that God has laid out for you. Now, sin, on the other hand, is a little bit different. Sin comes from a word simply to mean to miss the mark. It's like an archery term. And God has given us this bullseye that he's called us all to hit. That bullseye is like that standard of righteousness that he has. He says, this is what I want you to hit. To be perfect, you gotta reach this level of, of righteousness. 
But what we understand is that I'm a terrible aim, you're a terrible aim, and we miss that mark. Oh, that's our goal. We want to hit that mark, but we understand we fail. We come up short so often. And that's kind of the point is that God is showing us the standard of righteousness, this target is hard to hit in and of ourselves. We need help. We need Jesus to save us, to make us righteous. But the idea is, is as Paul is laying out for us, is that, listen, this was your status, your state, your condition. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You've rebelled against God. You've overstepped his boundaries and you've missed the mark. You failed. John Stott said it this way. Or actually, uh, let me skip ahead there, yeah. John Stott said it this way. He says, before God, we are both rebels and failures. As a result, we are dead or alienated from the life of God. For true life, eternal life, is fellowship with the living God and spiritual death is a separation from him which sin inevitably brings. So we see that we've rebelled, we failed. Bible says in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 10, that there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us were in this category. So try to just wipe away this notion, this idea that we sometimes get that, you know, I mean, God didn't really have to do a pretty major job in saving me. No, you were dead, unable to save yourself. You were in trouble apart from God. And Paul is laying out this black backdrop of humanity to cause you to see where you were, but to see what God has done and your ultimate need for God. He goes on to say in verse two, he just kind of builds on this now, right? He says in verse two, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, in which you once walked. Again, we can tend to have a very inflated view of self, thinking highly, more highly of ourselves than we should. But Paul just lays it out there. He's not holding anything back. He's saying, listen, do you know what you were doing? You were walking according to the course of this world. You had, you had no interest in God. You were following the course of this world, which means to follow just that stream of that worldly view, which when we talk about the world, we talk about all that which is in opposition to God. That's the path, the stream that you were in. And that idea of walking, when he uses that word walk, it's like this idea of just kind of walking around meandering. It's kind of like the walking dead, right? You were just sort of in a daze and you're just kind of flowing along with the course of this world. You had no desire for God. You had no interest in God. You had no ability to even communicate with God because you were dead spiritually, you see. You were dead. And in that flow of the course of the world, we see that the course of this world, that which is in opposition to God, is being led along by what Paul says here, the prince of the power of the air. That's the, the, the world system is being governed by the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Satan. He's been given dominion temporarily over this world. Even Jesus said as much in John 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's he speaking about? He's speaking about the devil. And he called him the ruler of this world. Satan has been at work to influence the things on uh, the things of this world and all those things that have an effect in our lives. He's using these things 
that are of the world to again keep us away from God. That's his only intent, ultimately. Satan's, Satan's okay if you're not literally bowing down and worshiping him. He's okay with that because he just wants you to be away from God, separate from God, you see. Satan's at work using the things of this world. And notice, he's a prince of the power of the air, which means that he's operating kind of on that spiritual realm. Sometimes we, we kind of fail to recognize the work of Satan because we don't, we don't see him physically. Hope you're not seeing him physically. You know? Let's pray for you if you are. There might be times you might do that out of some you know, weird occasion, but we don't see Satan physically, but he's operating in the spiritual realm. So sometimes we dismiss the work of the enemy thinking, come on, that's not, that's not the devil. How can that be the devil? But yet he's at work, my friends. He's at, we live in an evil world. Where, where did that come from? It comes through Satan looking to deceive people and, and, and devour people. And, and that just continues to flow out through humanity that's walking according to the course of this world. They're, they're living in a daze apart from God. And they're being influenced by the enemy. He's at work, my friends. Don't underestimate that. And he's looking to cause you simply to be a child of disobedience who now works in the sons of disobedience. He just wants you to stay away from God, being disobedient. Now, disobedience was not something that we had to learn, right? Again, this kind of reveals the nature that we're born into, right? I mean, you just, all you have to do is, is put some kids together, right? Get a few two to four-year-olds playing together, even up to like 20, 22 year olds. I mean, you, anyway, you, you begin to see when you put people together, you can see that there's a lot of tendency for selfishness, for greed, for anger, right? I think the first word that kids learn is mine, right? And it just, it just reveals the condition of humanity, right? We, I, I don't know about you parents, but I didn't have to teach my kids to do that. They came across it very naturally, right? It's taken a lot of time to get them not to do that stuff, but it comes very naturally to them. So it reveals again the nature that, we, that we're born into. Now a lot of you go, man, that just seems unfair that I'm born into this nature. And we talked about this on Wednesday, how one man brought sin into the world. Romans lays it out for us very clearly. One man, Adam, brought sin into the world to which you can think and go, man, that just seems so unfair. Why do I have to become a product of that and now have a sin nature? Well, the reason God allowed sin to come in the world through one man is so that he could also allow salvation to come for the world through one man. Just as sin came in through Adam, so also life comes through Jesus Christ. And we have the blessing now of receiving life in and through Jesus now. And that's a great thing for us here. But here's the reality is what Paul is laying out there is that you're gonna be following one or the other. Augustine put it this way. He once said that man is like a horse and he has one or two riders. Either the horse is ridden by Satan or it is ridden by God. But the horse doesn't run on its own steam. Sadly, nothing is more natural to fallen man than to adopt, to embrace, and to walk according to the ways of this world in direct contrast to the way of God. The spirit who is influencing non-Christians to be disobedient is obviously a reference to Satan. And then moving into verse three, we read, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Now Paul now changes pronouns a bit because he's been laying out and you once walked according to the course of this world. It was you that was doing this, but now he says, and we all. Now it's almost like he's kind of bringing in his fellow countrymen, the Jews, and just basically bringing all of humanity together to say, listen, we were all in this case. He's throwing all of humanity under the bus ultimately to show that we are all guilty because we all conducted ourselves according to these things, according to the lusts of our flesh. Again, we're born with that sinful nature. And there's that natural now impulse to the things of flesh, of the flesh and of sin. To where what we were doing before coming to God is that we were just going, how do, I, how do I fulfill this? How do I live this out all the more? How do I bring pleasure for myself? That was the condition we were all in. Fulfilling the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling these sinful desires. Now, now remember, temptation, right, is not sin. Fulfilling it is. And Paul makes that distinction. We're not just talking about temptation. We're not just talking about, about a pull from the course of the world. He's saying it's when you fulfill the lust of the flesh and you were all guilty of it. That's the case that he's bringing out here for us. And because of our sinful conduct, because we all conducted ourselves this way, what was the end result? We were by nature children of wrath. Man. Imagine if we just ended the message like right there, out of time, sorry guys. I mean, you'd be walking out here like, oh man, I'm just so beat up. Oh, this is heavy stuff. Maybe for some of you, it's an eye opener as you realize, man, I kind of thought myself to be a little bit better than that. But no, this is the reality for us all. We were all once going this route, opposed to God, living in open rebellion, failing to come up to the standards of God. We were following the course of this world. We were, we were conducting ourselves according to the lusts of our flesh and because of that, we were by nature children of wrath. Listen, we were doomed from the beginning. We inherited a sin nature. Understand this, my friends. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners born into that we're all guilty and we deserve wrath and judgment now paul is going to lay out for us that we have a choice over these things this doesn't have to be the way for us i'm just trying to think of what time our service ends i get confused with the times our service ends at 11 right okay i'm just pacing myself all right Okay, keep on track here. All right. So Paul's gonna lay out now that, listen, we, we have a choice. This doesn't need to be the end result for us. But can I just mention something first? We read that we all once connected ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Some of us might read that and think, ah, hold on, I, I, wait a second. I, I still st actually struggle with these things. Paul says, I once connected our, ourselves that way like but this is still an ongoing battle for me am I now not saved am I am I still a, a child of wrath well so let me let me bring some hope for you and I, and I never want to minimize sin 
But I also want to give you confidence and hope here today because we're still carrying around this old man, this sinful nature. Now, the Bible says, die to that. It's, it's like it's a rotting corpse. It's not, not something that we want to cozy up to and get comfortable with, but it's still there. And it still is trying to kind of, you know, pull us into that place of where we once lived. But, but we're ultimately set free from that. That doesn't need to dominate us any longer. For the Christian, that should not be what we're living for. See, Paul's pointing out our former conduct when this was the natural impulse, this is the desire that we had, this is what we were living for, were these things that we see in verses one to three. For the Christian, that should not be what you're living for. Oh, there might be a time where you, you stumble, you fall, you trip up, but may that cause you to run back to the Lord to say, forgive me, I confess, man, I've, I've messed up here. You're still a child of God. You're not, you're not losing your salvation, but you come for forgiveness and confession in order to be restored in that relationship with the Lord. But understand that just because there's times where that, that old man might kind of get a hook in you, it doesn't mean like, oh wait, Paul says we once did this. Am I no longer saved? No, you're, you're a child of God. You're not, you're not who you're going to be, but praise the Lord, you're not who you once were. He's doing that work in you and he's perfecting that until we are with him face to face when we will be made perfect. You keep your eyes on the Lord and you keep saying, Lord, I want my life today to be lived for you. I don't wanna live for the former conduct, the old man. I wanna live in this new nature you give me and that's the great thing is that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that uh, all those that are in Christ are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so may we live as that new creation in Christ now, living for him. So the question is really, what is characterizing your life? What is driving your life? Now, let me just summarize what we've seen here, what we were, because here it's laid out here. We were dead in trespass and sins. We were dazed, following the course of this world. We were disobedient. We were depraved. We were fulfilling the lust of our flesh and we were doomed, children of wrath. Now that kind of pedigree, I'm sure you're wondering, how can we ever turn the ship around? We've heard the bad news, Brent. Can we get to the good news? Next week, we'll pick it up there. No, we're gonna, we're gonna touch on this here, okay? We can't leave you on this note here. We gotta get to the good news here because the good news comes bursting through shining through like that Kool-Aid man that just burst through the brick wall. It's like, here's this good news now, just bursting through right now for you. And it says, but God, look at verse four with me. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. These two words here, but God, are probably two of the sweetest words you'll hear in the Bible. And it's the two words we need to continually remind ourselves of and put into every situation every circumstance we come across because day by day we're going to face challenges we're going to have things that come upon us that are like these great obstacles where we wonder how am I going to get through this and we need to continually interject those two words but God because in our sight in our minds we look at these things and we go I can't do it I can't get through and you're right, you can in and of yourselves. And this is where we can say, but God, because he is able, he is the God of the impossible, and he is showing that for us here because we were dead. We had no possibility of doing anything for us to change us from that situation, 
But God, he's the one that does. He's the one that helps us. God provided the way. And notice here, God is rich in mercy. There's not a limited supply of that with the Lord. Sometimes we might think, you know, man, I've been really relying on that mercy thing a whole lot. Am I, gonna, am I gonna exhaust that one day? Is the Lord eventually gonna say, you know what, Brent, sorry, no more mercy for you. You've gone over, man. You've been doing some, some too many withdrawals of that here. No, he is rich in mercy. It just continues to flow. Continually is poured out. Too often people think of God just as a God of, of wrath and judgment. They fail to see that he's a God of mercy. And again, mercy is not getting what we deserve. When you go through those first three verses, you recognize we didn't deserve mercy. What we did deserve was judgment. What we do deserve because of our sin is hell. That's the reality. We all deserve that. But God gave us mercy, not judgment. And he's rich in mercy. And he did this because he loves us. I love how Paul says this. Because of his great love with which he loved us. I mean, that's incredible. This goodness and this mercy all flows out of his love. God is a God of love. And again, sometimes we think, well, he's a God of love, sure. So it just kind of flows out, you know, without much thought. But I think Paul breaks it down. Because of his great love, and it's love with which he loved us, that he demonstrated to us, that flows to us, to you, to me personally. We have the privilege of being the objects of God's great love. How good is that? And this love is shown in its fullness by loving us even when we were dead in trespasses and, and sins. Paul lays that out here for us. Even, verse five, when we were dead in trespasses, he showed his love for you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God, there's that but God again. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is why God's love is so great. Because it was on full display when we least deserved it. You did nothing to earn God's love. You did nothing to stay in God's love. He loves you. Now there's blessing when we walk in that and we just continue to serve him and walk obediently. We, we then enjoy this love all the more. And he says there, verse five, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. See, just as Jesus shared in our death, we now get to share in his life. And in this resurrection power that, that Paul prayed in, in chapter one, right? The same spirit that was at work in raising Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And we get to experience his life now. By grace you've been saved. This is that incredible work of salvation, my friends. It's all a matter of grace. See, mercy we saw was not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting that which we don't deserve. So getting, getting something that we didn't deserve. We didn't deserve this salvation. We didn't deserve to be given life and made alive 
together with Christ. We didn't deserve any of that. That's grace. This work of salvation, uh, of coming to find life in, in God has nothing to do with you. It's this unmerited favor of God towards you. He does all the work so that he gets all the glory. And you see, that's the fact is that our salvation is ultimately to put on display this great love and goodness and grace of God. We're gonna see that here in the next couple of verses. Look at verse six. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we've been raised up from death, raised up from the very poor condition we were in that, that Paul had laid out in the opening verses. And not only that, we've been raised up. We've been raised up to the highest place. Imagine that. He made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't feel like that right now. Physically, we're present here on this earth. But spiritually, our position is in heaven with Christ. Think about that. That's the reality for us right now. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's our status and our position before God right now. Though we don't experience that on a physical level, that's the reality for us today spiritually. That's huge. Regardless of your present circumstances, your present status is in heaven. And for all eternity, Paul lays out there in verse seven, that we're gonna be on display, revealing the great riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We're gonna be on display for all of eternity of just, again, revealing the great work that God has done where where people, we're gonna see people in the millennium that are gonna be born in, you know. We're gonna see the angelic beings just, I think, for all of eternity just continue, continue to scratch their head, go, God, you, you use those people? You save those people? How did you do that? It's amazing, God. That's incredible love, just for all of eternity. And I think we're gonna just continue to grow in the awareness of his, of his love for all of eternity. I think, I think every day in eternity, and not that there's going to be days or 24 hours. I mean, eternity is just going to be timeless. It's going to be incredible. I think we're just going to keep, man, having our, our minds blown. I think that's going to be like what's so cool about heaven. We're just going to keep our minds blown. Like, just when I thought I couldn't get any more excitement, it's like, whoa, you just continue to reveal to me how great your love is, God. How good you are. And I pray that this is something that we are are grasping here today because these, this portion of scripture, we'll pick it up next week in verse eight and just continue to look at this work of grace. But I pray that we today just marvel at the goodness of God. And as you look at the before and the after, man, we were dead, doomed. We were in trouble. But God, he made us alive in and through Christ. And he not only made us alive just to kind of put us away off in a corner like we do sometimes with our, 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 our trinkets, the things that we treasured, you know, sometimes can sit in a box in the attic and just collect dust. That's not what God's gonna be doing for eternity. He made us alive so that we could enjoy him, so we can continue to live out this great goodness of God for all of eternity and be on display to reveal just his great love with which he worked in us and through us to save us, to make us alive, to raise us up from the dead. Man, I pray that you understand just what God has done for you personally because without it 
there is no hope for us. God's done it all. And we can now enjoy life. I, I pray that you are, are just amazed today, marveling in the goodness of God, and that you are enjoying this life that he's given us, that he's allowed us to have by grace through faith in him. And we'll talk about that more next week. Worship team, would you come up? Let's close with a song here and let's just pray and thank the Lord here this morning. God, thank you so much for saving us, for bringing life into that which was dead. We were gone, we were separated from you and yet God, you, you, you caused there to be life. You drew us to you, Lord. And we thank you for salvation, forgiveness of sins. We thank you that you have picked us up from the pit we were in and you seated us now in the very highest of places, in the heavenly places in Christ. And we, Lord, are so blessed today and I pray that we would continue to marvel at just your great love, at your great work in saving us. You've done it all for us, Lord. We thank you and we praise you here today. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship Jesus here.